Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. Well, good morning and welcome to Glory Church again. My name is Greg McKinney and my wife and I are the lead pastors here. And if you are actually watching us live, thank you so much for joining us. In fact, I'd love to know right now, where are you streaming from? You can swipe up and go to the comments and let us know where are you watching at this morning. And if you are watching outside of a Sunday morning, uh, thank you for joining us this week. Uh, but I also wanna encourage you, join us if you're free 10 a.m. on Sundays. Join us for the online community, engage with us. You have a home here. Uh, I don't know if you've been a part of Glory Church for very long, but one key part of our DNA uh, is that, that we believe that faith is more than a Sunday service. It's more than a Sunday experience. And so our promise to you, my family to you, is that we will always empower you in your homes. In fact, each and every week on our website, if you haven't seen already, each and every week there are resources that you can download. If you are married, there are resources specifically for your your marriage, prayers that you can pray over your spouse, uh, passages that you guys can read together, activities, conversation starters, uh, focuses, ways of, to affirm one another. And if you are a parent, uh, goodness, the, our, our home is changing right now. Uh, we are having to homeschool. Uh, we're, having, we're having to deal with how do you manage four little kids while you're trying to school too. Things are crazy. But we want you to know that we're coming alongside of you. And so in that resource packet, each and every week are ways for you to uh, have faith conversations with your kids, ways for you to pray over your kids, uh, passages that you can read together. And if you are a single person, we also have uh, resources for you, ways that you can still engage in your community, interesting and and neat activities that you can do to to either grow your faith or to deepen your connection with those around you, uh, passages that you can pray, uh, pray through and read through. And so please take advantage of that. You can find it actually at glorychurchkc.com slash resources or at the bottom of our service page. Uh, We will make sure that you have it. Uh, We'd love for you to dive into it. I say all of that because on Easter, uh, which is in, a, in just in a few weeks, on we- Easter week, that whole holy week before Easter Sunday, we are going to provide some really interesting and neat resources. So I want you to get in the habit of going to that page, downloading them, because I'm really excited for what's coming. But this morning, as Davida and Dalton already alluded to, we are continuing in a series called Daring, uh, which has been all over the book of Daniel. If you are popping in for your first time this morning, thank you. You, can, uh, you don't have to know anything about the past messages. But we are diving into, I believe, one of the most iconic and well-known stories in the book of Daniel. It is the story, if you were to hear Daniel, uh, this is the story that would come to your mind, Daniel and the lion's den. And so I just want to challenge you, if maybe you are very familiar with the story, maybe you know it verbatim, can I just challenge you to choose to learn this morning? I challenge you to choose to have the heart of a learner, a heart of a disciple this morning, much like I had to this week, this is a very familiar story, but I, I, I just humbled myself and asked God, convict me. So can you do that this morning as well? 
as we get into it, I want to I want to framework it through one truth. All right, and I had a hard time coming up with this truth, narrowing it down, but it is this that I believe that that the, the story of Daniel in the lion's den, it, when you look at it from a daring faith point of view, it is this that a daring faith will always speak life, that a daring faith speaks life. And as a writer, I wanted to make that sentence very beautiful and very long. I had a lot of commas in it. I had some ands. And at the, as I was struggling with it, I decided, you know, I need it to be simple. Because at the end of the day, what I believe Daniel is showcasing in this, what I believe is, is being spoken through his miraculous salvation and deliverance in the lion's den, is that a daring faith period. It speaks life. And so join me as we dive into this. Uh, It's chapter six of Daniel. Before we get into it, though, I sort of want to lay the foundation again. For those of you who maybe are stepping in for the first time, if you can remember, Daniel began with the Babylonians overtaking God's people. Jerusalem was handed over and they are now struggling in a new culture bound by a new ruler. But at the end of chapter 5, last week, we talked about how instantly this abrupt change happens and Darius the Mede comes and overtakes Babylon, kills off King Belshazzar, and instantly becomes the ruler. So now we start chapter 6 with both Babylon and Jerusalem having a new leader, a new king. And very much unlike Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, these new kingdom, uh, this new culture does things very differently. Where King Nebuchadnezzar loved burning people alive, the Medes and the Persians, they collected wild beasts. And most likely it was always lions, but sometimes they just collected beasts. And, and what they would do is their enemies would be thrown in and devoured by these beasts. And that is one huge piece of their culture. Another thing that, that separates them is unlike the wishy-washy nature of Nebuchadnezzar and other Babylonian kings who would say one thing yet do the other, they had a built-in hierarchy that whatever the king spoke, if it was written down as a decree, he himself would be bound by it. Then in fact, it wasn't the king and then everyone else. It was the king's decrees, then the king and everyone else. And it's very interesting to remember as we dive into the text. So we're going to start off right now, chapter or verse one of chapter six. It says, it pleased Darius, the king, to set over his kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them were three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might offer uh, and, and suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and the satraps because an excellent spirit was within him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel because they were jealous uh, in regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault in him because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. You see the structure of this that we're working with is very different. You see a foreigner being elevated, Daniel. He's a foreigner. He's not even a Babylonian. He's not a Persian nor a Mede, and he's elevated. And so these other high officials began getting very jealous of Daniel, and so they try to find a fault against him. But we, we read that he has this excellent spirit 
within him. In other words, I believe he has a life-giving spirit. His life speaks life. And someone who is caught up by that, who, who, is, who is enthroned by it, is King Darius. He loves Daniel. And so he is ready to set him up in second command over the whole kingdom. But we see the high officials not want that. In fact, uh, the story continues, and I will tell you, they, they were so jealous that they tried to find a way to get him in trouble. And they couldn't. And so they decided altogether to, to have this evil plan of changing the rules. If they can make a law that Daniel would not be able to, to, to stand for, then perhaps they could get him executed. And that is, in fact, what they do. They come up with this plan. And I will tell you that they come up to, to King Darius and they say, Oh, King Darius, live forever. And then, this is paraphrased, but they say, we have an idea, a way to unite the kingdom under you. And he, he's loving this idea. And, and then they say, this is the plan. That for 30 days, no one is able to worship, pray to any God or man except for you. And that in those 30 days, we will see a kingdom united under your power and might. And the king loves the idea. And they, they, they get this in his mind so much that they push him to make not just a verbal decree, but a written one. And not thinking about anything but the unity of his now very different and diverse kingdom, he signs on to it. And so King Darius makes this decree that for 30 days, no one can worship any other god or man except for him. And so it happens. And you know, we know that this is now a very very large and strong and, and binding decree that cannot be even broken by Darius himself. And so the rules were changed. Again, a new kingdom and new rules, and they were changed, and a new norm set over the country. But, but it's interesting. Daniel chapter 6 keeps going. And the story says in verse 10 that when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper room chamber that was open towards Jerusalem, and he got down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. As he had done previously, the story says. In fact, these satraps, these governors, they knew Daniel, he's up every day, three times a day, praying to God, facing his old city. We know that if we make this decree, he cannot do it. He's going to continue to worship and pray because that's just who Daniel is. And so we know we got him. We, we're going to get him in this way. And guess what? They saw these actions of prayers, but what they missed was the heart of obedience, reverence, and dare I say power that was found in the prayers. In fact, can I just pull up, First Kings is very interesting. King Solomon makes this petition to the Lord on behalf of his people, and I believe fully that Daniel had King Solomon's words in his heart and mind as he did this reverently every single day, three times a day, he would look to his old city and pray. And it's because of this. First Kings says uh, that if your people repent with all their heart and soul in the land of their enemies, now overtaken by the Medes and Persians, who took them captive and they pray to you toward their land, which you gave their ancestors, the city that you have chosen and the house that I have built for your name. Then here in heaven, your dwelling place, hear their prayer. Hear their plea, maintain their cause, 
and forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their transgressions that they have committed against you and grant them compassion in the sight of their captors so that they may have compassion on them. And if you know anything about Daniel, that has been his life. People who are supposed to be his enemies having compassion on him and then him in turn showcasing so much compassion on others. They saw this action of prayer But we can see this heartbeat of power. And I will tell you, I believe it is that power that led him to the greatness of what we see him do. That is why he has a daring faith. It's because he is speaking life to the life giver in that upper room. And he is doing it so much, so often. And the scripture says that, that they are to look at Jerusalem. He's reminding himself, Babylon is not my home. My citizenship is in a kingdom that is greater. Babylon is not my home. And in fact, he would look at Jerusalem where his temple, the temple of the Ark of the Covenant, where the holies of holies were. And that is where the presence of God was. And so every day he would reposition his heart posture to the Lord. This is powerful as we get into the rest of the story. Know that this is the character that Daniel had. This is how come his faith was so powerful. And so three times he would do it. But as we get into this, I want to get a little bit of an aside, because here's a principle that the satraps knew, the high governors know, and they knew, but we often overlook it, and it is this, that what you value on the average day will be what you value when the rules of life change. What you value on the average day will be what you value when life is changed, when a new norm comes, and they knew that Daniel valued prayer, and so if we change the rules, he's still going to pray. In fact, I say this, let this be aside a little freebie as we get into the rest of the story, because if you are in America right now, if you are living in our world right now, the rules of life have changed dramatically. A new norm because of the coronavirus, a new norm because of how life is happening and all the ripple effects of it has set in. And it is very telling because what we valued on an average day before the storm or before that hardship that came, what you valued then will inevitably be what you value now. And and it's just powerful. It's telling. In fact, if you valued success then, you will be striving to still succeed now. If you valued stability or if you valued structure, then you will be slow to value surrender now. It's very telling of our hearts, but I say this because if you're like me, we, many of our values may be uh, a lot more flesh-focused, a lot more flesh-driven than they are spirit-driven. And, and I tell you that, I want you to notice that because notice that the new norm still hasn't solidified. We are still struggling every day to figure out what this new norm is. So I encourage you in this aside to take ownership of what your values are and maybe begin exchanging them. For Daniel, his values were solid. Three times a day, I pray to my Lord. I reposition who I am so that I know how I will act. And that was a key value of his. And I will tell you, That when a a time of struggle and and burden comes, God does not abandon us in the chaos. Instead, he invites us to prayer. And I believe especially the value of prayer has become so unutilized in our marriages, in our faith, in our lives, in our homes. And maybe that is something that needs to be added in because I will tell you, it it is that sowing of prayer 
that I believe fully allowed Daniel to have the daring faith that would lead him to that lion den experience. In fact, I will say even more so, I believe it is, it is his sowing of prayer that grew his faith to the point that he experienced what he did in the lion's den. We know the miraculous thing, but we overlook the heart, the structure, the foundation that became before it. And so as we get into this, we know the story continues that the the following day they notice that he's praying. And so they grab him, bring him to King Darius, throw him in front. And the story writes in Daniel 6 that the king is distraught. He is distraught. So much so that he spends the whole rest of the day until sundown trying to find a way to save Daniel. He is trying to find a way to save him. And and the story says he returns to his palace trying to search out a way, but he's unable to. He himself could not repeal it. He, as a king, does not have the power to undo the decree. And so the story says, scripture reads, that before throwing him in, King Darius looks to Daniel and says, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And then the story writes, he was thrown inside, a a stone was rolled to cover the den, and then it ends. The night is over. But we get the picture of the palace because we see Darius going home and unlike getting a normal entertainment for the night, unlike receiving all the, the, the food and the feast of the night, he instead locks himself in his room and fasts. And, and he stays up all night fasting and praying on behalf of Daniel. And then the next day, scripture says that the king rushes to the den and says this, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Has your God, the living God, did you catch that? This is a once pagan king now calling our God the living God. There is such change that happened. There is such compassion now. This is a faith that we have not seen in Darius at all. And as we know, Daniel answers him. He says, O good king, While I was in the den, my God, an angel uh, of the Lord came and shut the mouths of the lions and they did not hurt me. I am here. And the king overjoyed. He writes this new decree for the land. And he writes a new decree that says everyone must believe and bow down and worship the God of of Daniel, that living God. And then he takes everyone who accused, all the accusers of Daniel, throws them in the lion's den, them and their families. And the story says that before their bodies hit the ground, the lions devoured them. And then the story ends. But I will tell you, as I read this, something happened that I wasn't prepared for. I I actually broke it down. Um, I cried in my office as I was, I was studying the text. I, I was looking in the emotions and the words and like never before. Guys, I know this story, but for some reason it broke me. And you could call me a baby. I don't care. But I think it's because for the first time I separated in my mind this story from the fiery furnace. You see, we can, we can often just think of it as another version of what, what God did in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We can quickly think that it's just another deliverance story. But can I tell you, there is such power when you look at the differences. Uh, the biggest one being the kings. In, in the fiery furnace story, we see King Nebuchadnezzar who hates Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And out of rage, he throws them in. But in this story, there is a king who adores Daniel. 
and being bound by his own decree, unable to do anything else. He, he in fear and worry, throws Daniel into death. Two very different kings, and I was caught off guard by the emotion of King Darius, the change that he had. Because in, in desire, he prays fervently. He's fasting on behalf of Daniel because he knows, he knows the faith of that man, that he follows the living God. And, and though he's trying to figure this out for himself, one thing that he knows is Daniel has faith. But he also knows my hands are tied and I'm unable. I'm supposed to be able. I'm supposed to have strength. I'm supposed to have power, but I don't. I know the faith of Daniel, but I know how strong and mighty the teeth of those lions are. And he knew if someone does not intercede, Daniel's dead. And so I broke down when reading the anguish of, of, of King Darius running to the, the den and saying essentially, Daniel, are you alive? And I broke down because this king desires, is there any hope? Is there a God that can actually save? And it's like he, he's come to the end of himself hoping that change is possible. And unlike ever before, a huge metaphor jumps out at me. You see, in, in the book of Colossians, Paul writes this letter and he words it in this way. He says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh or the fallenness of your flesh, God made you alive together with him. Having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt, that written decree that was written against you. With all its legal demands, and this he set it aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them on the cross. This is literally what happens in the den of the lions that you, if you're a believer watching this, the truth is that you and I had a written decree that from our birth we were sinful. And the accuser pointed to us, our enemy pointed to us saying they are bound by the very things that they do and they cannot help but do it. And there was nothing on earth, no power, no person who could nullify that written decree. You and I were bound by sin, unable to do anything else. But in the den of the lions, Jesus Dying on the cross changed it. Scripture literally says that he took that written record, nailed it to the cross, and put a shame. He, he made ashamed everything and everyone who spoke against us. The enemy and his lies were silenced. I will tell you there is power in this because as Daniel looked up and said, O king, God shut the mouth of the lions. There is something really beautiful in the Aramaic there. In fact, that phrase has two separate meanings. It is fully dependent on the noun in the sentence. That if it was an animal, it would read, shut the mouth of. But if the noun was a person, a human being, then it would have read, silenced the speech of. And I will tell you, one of the most powerful truths is that on the cross, Jesus silenced the speech of the accuser. On the cross, he made it possible for, for sin to not define us, but life. And that is exactly what happens in this den. Much like Daniel, Jesus' death and his life, his resurrection, it completely nullified that written, that written record against us. And our God, I need you to know our God 
He overcomes the binding decrees of this world. And though that is powerful, though that is exciting, though that gets your blood moving, that is not why I broke down. In fact, I broke down because of this man, Darius, and his response and the question that he essentially asks Daniel, and it convicted me. He says, Daniel, are you alive? Essentially, he wants to know that the living God is able to give life, and he longed to know that there was a king more powerful than him, and I broke down because I was wondering. I wonder how many people in my life look to me and say, are you alive? Because they themselves have come to the end of themselves. They, they've been wondering, is this living God the real God? Does he offer life? Does he bring change? And, and they're looking to me just asking, are you alive? Is there a difference in your life? I wonder how many times you as a believer, someone has asked in their mind, are you alive? They, they are now going through the divorce that you went through and they just want to know that God makes a difference and they're looking to you, wondering, is your life speaking life? They're struggling and they're at the edge of themselves owning the fact that, that they cannot make a change. And they're just wondering by your life, is the living God able to deliver? Are you alive? And I broke down because too often I remain in that den, closed up, and I allow the stories of deliverance, the life that God has, has given me to remain as closed up as that den. I will tell you, no one knew what happened in there until Daniel spoke of it. No one knew that Daniel had a story of life until he spoke of it. And that is one thing that we allow to be unseen for a long time is our story of life. But can I tell you that a daring faith speaks life, not only in prayers to the living God, but literally we are to constantly say, yes, the living God provides life and my life is a display of it. A daring faith is not just experience freedom. It communicates the experience of freedom. A daring faith does not just experience deliverance. It speaks deliverance. If you are in Christ this morning, then there is life at work in you. But you and I, we do injustice to the Dariuses in our life. We do injustice to our marriages, to our families, when we keep the work that God has done silent, unspoken, closed, unmentioned. They're asking, are you alive? And we keep silent. And so some of you have stories that need to be spoken, that there were lies that you once believed that you're overcoming, that there was addiction from your past that, that you are finding hope from. These are stories. These are brave scenarios in the lion's den that need to be spoken. These are stories of life that a daring faith will speak of. Are you alive? And know this, it is, it is actually as we speak those stories of faith that we begin to believe them more and more. I, I can just imagine Daniel still being amazed that these lions didn't kill him. But as he spoke it into reality, it made it feel real. King, I am alive. And, it, and it's powerful. Each and every time I begin to tell my testimony, open up about my life, things become more real. God's deliverance, his power in me become more real. And yes, that was a part of prayer speaking life to the life giver, but we often keep those closed when it comes to other people. But a daring faith speaks life. 
It's about time for us to put our stories into words. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.